and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Uh, good to be with you all here this morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. It's, uh, I'm the primary preacher of the Vine and the pastor of Grow Ministries, and it's good to be with you here on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we are, if I you know that you're all waiting with bated breath to know the update of the painting at the Bass household. And Erica really whipped me into shape, and we got that sucker done in like three weeks. So praise be to God for the first of many projects that she has on her long, long list for me. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, thank you. I did a very mighty thing by painting our house. Um, It's good to be with you all here today. We are in the last week of our restoration series. As we've been looking at this Easter season, that Easter is not just a single Sunday, but it's a whole season. That the new life that Jesus Christ has for us in his resurrection can't just be explained in a single Sunday. It takes a whole season to unpack. And so as we live into this resurrection life that God has for us, we looked at the ways that our God is a God who wants to bring restoration to every facet of our life. And so we're closing this series with a story in the Old Testament. And we've seen throughout this series that our God's heart is bent towards restoration. That the heart of Jesus and the heart of the Father is bent towards restoration. It's bent towards healing making things right into wholeness. So we're closing with the story today in 2 Kings 5, if you have your Bibles with us. It's this profound story of both inward and outward restoration that Elijah has with a man named Naaman. Uh, it's technically pronounced Naaman, but I sound pretentious when I say it, and I don't want to say Naaman over and over again. So I'm just going to say Naaman, and we're all just going to pretend like that's how it's pronounced. And as you look at this story, I want you to be looking at this underlying theme that undergirds this whole story, and that's this reality of pride. Looking at Naaman's pride throughout this story, because this underlying theme of pride is that when it comes to restoration in our lives, pride is one of the biggest barriers of preventing restoration. That pride is one of the biggest barriers of preventing restoration in our lives. And throughout this story, listen to pride in Naaman and in this story. 2 Kings 5, verses 1. Now Naaman was commander of the, of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Now the band of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. 
the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went to his, with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned. He went off in a rage. See, it starts off, you can just hear that pride, and it really hits its high point in verses 11 and 12. But throughout this whole story, you see that undergirding of pride in Naaman. Starting in verse 1, it starts off by proclaiming, Naaman is this great and powerful man, rich and powerful. But what's interesting is even in spite of his wealth and in spite of his power, it still did not stop his need for restoration. Because it says, but he had leprosy. But he needed restoration, but he needed healing. Because the reality is that wealth and power cannot protect us from this world. This Israelite girl, and he goes to Naaman's wife, and she says, go to Israel, go find the prophet there, and the prophet will heal you. And so he loads up this awesome display of wealth, this ostentatious display of wealth, another point of pride. Look at how wealthy I am. And he goes, and uh, I don't know if you know how many talents and shekels are, uh, so I converted it to modern equivalents. It's 75 pounds of silver and 200 pounds of gold. Just this massive amount of wealth. And he goes to the king of Israel and sends this message Look how powerful I am. Look how rich I am. Look at me. I am a person worthy of getting this from the prophet. Goes to, buy, goes to try to buy the prophet's favor and by, by uh, extension, buy God's favor. But notice he doesn't go to the prophet. He goes to the king. He goes to the powerful he goes to the one who thinks he has power over the prophet. In those days, there were court prophets, and the kings were the ones that had power over those court prophets, but not in Israel. In Israel, the prophets of Yahweh are the final authority, not the kings. That God is the true king of Israel. And so the prophet is the, is the prophet of the king of Yahweh. And so he goes to the king of Israel, tries to go to the powerful that in his pride, I will go from strength to strength. And then he goes to this man and he says, can you cure me? And he's looking to the wrong source. He's looking to the king of Israel. And the reality is that God is the healer, 
And God is the restorer. And so many times we set our eyes to the powerful and to the wealthy and to the things of this world and we say, you are the thing that can cure me. You are the thing that can restore me. We set our eyes in the wrong spot. But notice the king's response. It's this lashing out of, I can't do this. So Elijah sends a message, says, uh, send him to me, I'll take care of him. That's my translation. <laughs> send him to me, I'll take care of him for you. And so Naaman goes to Elisha, and it says he goes with his horses and his chariots. Again, this display of, look at how powerful I am. Look at how strong I am. Chariots were sort of the modern-day super, or the ancient super weapon, sort of the equivalent of a, an aircraft carrier or a tank. It's a super beast of a thing that just can tear armies apart. And so he goes to Elisha with chariots and horses. Look how powerful I am, and he stands at the threshold of his house. And Elijah doesn't even come out. He doesn't even come out to meet him. He sends a servant. And the servant tells him how to find healing, and then the servant leaves. And what's so interesting about this story is that Naaman gets enraged, even though the reason he came was to find healing, and the servant says, this is how you can find healing, and yet it angers Naaman, even though he gets the answer that he wants. His response is shocking because he gets what he's looking for. Just go into the River Jordan, wash yourself, and then you will be cleaned and healed. But Naaman is angry because the response did not stroke his pride or his ego. And you see that in verse 11 where he talks about, he says, went away angry. And I thought, he says, I thought surely he would come out to me. And stand and call on the name of his Lord and wave his hand over the spot and it would be cured of leprosy. He expected it to be this big, powerful thing. This, it had to look a certain way. It had to be this big show of God pouring out his favor on me, Naaman, the rich and powerful in front of everyone. Look how the Lord favors me. It was his pride. But Naaman not only wanted healing, he wanted his pride to be validated as well. And then he goes on further. Are not our waters better than the waters here? Why must I debase myself and enter into these Israelite waters? Why must I lower myself into not even good water? Why can't I go back home into the good water? Why must I do this? That pride almost gets in the way of Naaman's healing and restoration. It says in verse 12, he turned away angry. He turned and went off in a rage. And pride manifests itself in many different ways in our lives. As we see here, the pride of Naaman is the pride of not being the central focus. Naaman wanted to be the center of attention that even though God would bring restoration and healing into Naaman's life, he didn't want to do it God's way. He wanted to do it Naaman's way. That was Naaman's pride. You know, uh, I went to New Room about three years ago. It's this uh, spiritual conference that I go to that's really great for me. And there was a time at the end of one of the sessions where the person was doing healing prayer at the altar, and it's kind of like what we do at our healing and prayer service if you've ever been, where they have the person stand up at the front, and they'll be listening to the Lord 
and they'll say, like, I feel like the Lord is saying if you have a, you know, a broken heart to come up or someone's come to you recently to come up and receive healing prayer. And I remember I was like, this is so cool. And I was like, all right, Lord, I want you to put something on this guy's heart to have me go up there. And I just, like, waited. It's like, all right, that wasn't me. All right, the next one wasn't me. And I'm just, like, praying, like, with bated breath. All right, God, I prayed to you. Now is the time for you to uh, have them invite me up, and it, and it just never came. And I was like, this is not how I want this to go. I want to go up there. I want to be the one who has to go all the way to the front and have the Lord heal me. And I felt the Lord say to me in the middle of that, I want you to just watch the restoration. Because the reality is my prayer wasn't a true prayer of a desire for healing. It was a prayer of selfishness. It was a prayer to be noticed, a prayer for me, Jeremy, to be called by the Lord and to go up to the front and receive his healing. But there was a selfishness rooted in it, a prayer, a prayer of selfishness to be seen that my pride was getting in the way. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. of Naaman, the pride that we see here, the pride of wanting to be central, the pride of wanting to do things our way and not God's way. When uh, I have permission for my wife to share this story, so if you think it paints her in a bad light, I apologize, but it shouldn't, but get mad at her because she told me I could share it. One time when Erica was an undergrad, she was struggling financially and she was struggling and she couldn't afford to pay her books for the year. And so she had to go to someone and ask them for money to be able to buy her books for the semester. And the person gave her the money, but they gave it very grudgingly, very reluctantly. And she said when she received that money and sort of received that reluctance and that grudgingness of the gift, that something kind of hardened in her. That subconsciously she made this vow that I I will never have to ask for help from anyone again. That I don't need anyone's help in my life ever again. That if I ask for help, it's a sign of weakness like this person has shown me that it is. She made this vow deep within herself that she subconsciously made that she wasn't even aware that she had done it. And this vow that she made, this, uh, this idea that I can't let anyone in, that I can't show signs of weakness to anyone, I can't ask for help bled into every aspect of her life. It bled into the aspect of her life that was our relationship. And there was an issue we were having, I don't remember what exactly. And me and her were praying through it. And the Lord showed us that the root of this issue that we were going through was this pride. This pride that she had that I will put my wall up and I will not let anyone in. And so the Lord said, Erica, I want you to confess that pride to me. So she did, and when she did, it was like the floodgates had opened up. It was like 
tearing down of the Berlin Wall, just like this massive barrier that had been created is now gone, and the healing and the forgiveness and the restoration were able to come flooding into its place. That like Naaman, you and I and Erica had let pride stand in the way of deeper healing and restoration. And it was in that prayer when she gave up the pride that healing came and that restoration came. In Naaman's story, we see the pride of wanting to be glorified, the pride of me, the pride, and then we obviously see that today as I shared an example of myself. But in talking about pride as a hindrance of healing and restoration, I want to examine another facet of pride that we see often in our lives today, that we commonly see today. It's a pride that Jesus addresses in his Gospels. It's the pride of believing that we don't need help, that we don't need restoration, and that even if we did, it's something that we could do ourselves. Especially in the American church with our emphasis on self-reliance, our pride gets in the way of the restoration that God wants to bring into our lives. Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors, and the, and the Pharisees saw him, and they say, why are you doing this? And Jesus says this in verse 17. On hearing them say this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The sick are the ones who need the doctor. And this rebuke by Jesus is to the Pharisees who thought themselves outside of the needs of restoration. That they were not really sick And that what happens is they were so blinded by their pride that they couldn't see within themselves their own need for restoration, their own need for a Savior, their own need for God to come and do something in their lives. They were blinded to this reality because of their pride. That Jesus came for the sick. But if we don't admit that we're sick, how can we get healing for our sickness? The most common lie that we tell each other on Sunday mornings is, I'm fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I know that because I've said that before, and I said, I'm fine, and on the inside, I'm just dying inside. But I can't share that with them. They don't care. I can't let them into this area of my life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 10.10, 10, and it says this, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it in order to be fine. Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. I misread that. Um, It says this, I have come that they might have life and they might have it to the full. The NLT says that they might have life and life abundantly. That our pride is, forces us to settle for a mediocre life that Christ has no intention for us. And growing up, that's what it was like with me. I was in a community where people put on a good face for Sunday morning, pretending like there's no issues in my life, there's no issues going on at home. This is my perfect suburban life, and I have to maintain this perfect suburban image. 
And I can't let others see the reality of the brokenness that I'm struggling with. I can't let them in. I can't let them see that I have to maintain this image, this pride that formed a barrier between each other and between God. And that's what I did for so long. For so long I did this. Worried that if I let people see my own leprosy, the leprosy of my soul, then I would be cast out and rejected. And so what we do is we cover our hurts, we cover our leprosy with our pride, and we just say, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. But I found this religion to be an empty, hollow shell. And I can't stand a religion like that. That's meaningless in the face of the reality of all that I was dealing with. I don't care for a religion where we have to pretend to put on happy faces when inside we're dying. One of the reasons we don't let people in is because of that pride. Where our pride prevents us from experiencing the restorative power of God because we don't let God or others into those places of brokenness. That's not a transformative gospel I've encountered. And that's a powerless gospel I do not want for us. And so the solution to our pride, God's solution to our pride, is humility. It's humility. You know, I said that pride almost stopped Naaman's restoration because Naaman doesn't let his pride get in the way. He humbles himself. Looking at 2 Kings, starting in verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. The story doesn't end with Naaman letting his pride be the barrier of healing. It ends with restoration. As we end this restoration sermon series, our heart for this sermon series is to expect more out of this God. That if we are Easter people, if we are Pentecost people, if we are people who say the living God dwells within our hearts, if we are people who say Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that if that is the faith that we proclaim, how can we settle for God not breaking chains of bondages in our soul, not breaking chains of addiction? How can we settle for a God who does anything less than that? How can we settle for a God who doesn't bring wholeness and restoration in our lives? And the solution for our pride, for thinking that we have to have it all together, that we have to be perfect is humility, to say, I don't have it all together. It says, Naaman dipped himself under the water. He literally lowered himself under the water, a tangible sign of his humility. When we get baptized, we lower ourselves under the water. 
as a sign of our humility that, Lord, I am in need of a Savior. And then what happens is we say, all right, Lord, uh, you've justified me. I'm all set. I'll take it from here. I am the expert now. Uh, I am the one who will be in charge of getting rid of all this other stuff. You just do the saving business. I'll do the rest. But Easter people are people who recognize that it's relying on the grace of God, lowering ourselves, putting our dependence upon him, that we experience this restoration power in our lives. That is the way of God. That is the way of the cross. We should be like Naaman who humbles himself, experiences that restoration. Humility was the key to Naaman's restoration. It'll be the key to ours as well. And I love just ending with this, band band and communion stewards, if y'all want to come up. It says that his skin was restored to like that of a young boy. That the restoration that God brings is not just from where it was back before. It's restoration into something new and better. That his skin doesn't just go back to like it was of an older man. It goes back to like that of a young boy. That the restoration power of God is better than where we were before we started. So don't let pride stand in the way between you and the Lord and you and others. Hear his invitation to come to the living water of Christ and be restored. For communion today, I want us to do this before we come up to the table. I want us to confess our pride together. Because if we don't confess that we're sick, how can we experience our need for a healer? So friends, I would just have you bow your heads and confess your pride before the Lord.